So I was mentioning I had a new, a new present that was uh, given to me over Christmas. It's an illustration for preachers, so you'll probably be, uh, this may be dangerous. Um, I, I started gleaming over I had I had to read this one because it, it struck me so funny. But it has to do with mistakes. And all of us, if we admit it, care to admit it or not, we've all made mistakes, right? You've had a few days where, oh boy, if I could do that over again, or we'd do that differently. So there's this carpet layer, right? And he's, uh, he's so happy he's, he's getting this carpet laid down a little early, finished. And as he looked over in the corner, after he had the carpet all laid down, he noticed a little lump, uh, you know, underneath the carpet. Rather than, you know, tearing it all up and fixing it, he took a hammer and began to smash it down. So it was all level and the carpet looked pretty good, pretty good. And so after he did that, uh, so he, what he thought it was, he thought he lost his pack of cigarettes. And so when he got to his truck, he noticed his pack of cigarettes were on the dash. And so as he's leaving the site, the homeowner hollered out the door and says, have you seen my parakeet? Now you know the rest of the story. You ever heard that one before? Not sure. This next one you might have heard already, but sometimes it's funny to hear it again. So a man who had never been ice fishing got the paraphernalia together to fish on the ice. And late one evening, he slipped onto the ice and put the tent up, began to chop through the ice. Then he heard a voice that said, there are no fish there. You've heard this. So he slid the tent over maybe 15, 20 feet, sat back down on the stool and began chopping again. Again, a voice said, there are no fish there either. Feeling fearful, he said, who are you, God? The voice answered, no, I am the manager of the skating rink. Er. Mm. Have you heard that before? Yeah. You, you told that was. I was, I was wondering, but it, I, I don't know why I was thinking of you, Joe, when I read that. Uh, you know, it's funny sometimes just to laugh at what we do. But sometimes, have you ever laughed at yourself lately? Come on. I think I think laughter is good medicine. The scripture says it's good medicine. It's just to sometimes laugh. I don't know. We just, we just have stories. We could tell Linda and I could tell stories of being on the farm. And funny things happened. Hmm. Remember Coco, the Shetland pony? One of them. I think we had... Half a dozen seemed like once. Would not listen when you try to get going on the uh, away from the farm. But as soon as you turned around, you could not. You had to hold on for dear life. And guess what? I would not uh, wait for you to open a fence. It would go right under it. And so you either had to make a choice. 
you're going to get killed or you're going to bail before you kill them. Funny stuff. Well, I hope you had a good Christmas. You know, really, it's, it's an opportunity to celebrate our Lord's birth. It's the same time that one of the, one of the times of the year that you, you probably gather with family more than, more than you know, any, any other holiday, if you can. At the same time, there are, holidays can be tough for people who have lost loved ones. And you start to think about them. So we are, we are in constant, I need to be constantly be reminded that don't take for granted your family. Don't take for granted your loved ones. You never know when they're not going to be there. And so cherish, build memories. Cherish the memories that you have. Build upon the memories you have. Make memories. So a lot of you are doing that and you're, you're on into the season past and grandkids and you're on even into the great grandkids. And, uh, every season is important. Every season that God has for us. And we can't, we don't want to live, we can have regrets for some things. We made mistakes. We can put them past. We can put them behind us. Amen. We can put, God can take our bad stuff, our sin, and puts it behind us. And so I've taken, I've chosen the, the text from Philippians today. Paul is a writer inspired by the Holy Spirit to write to the church of Philippi. And we're going to be in chapter 3 mostly. But we're, we're, I'm thinking about Paul. I'm thinking about he was not always a good guy. He was not always a very, he wouldn't be safe to be around if you were a Christian growing up and when Saul was Saul. He did not. In fact, he thought he was doing God a service by having Christians destroyed. And he was, thought he was doing God's service. He thought he was serving God by doing that. And so he was bent. He was, he was trained in the law. He was, he was, he was a Pharisee in, in, his, in his teaching and in his intellect. And he, Paul describes, and here we see Saul turning to Paul we know the stories in the book of Acts, this conversion, Acts chapter 9. It took a while for the church to get used to this guy and to make sure that he's the real deal. And so time went by. Finally, God is using him. He's going around the world at that time and preaching the gospel. People are being saved. People are being healed. People are being delivered. And now we have this letter as Paul wrote most of his letters from a prison cell under being, being locked up. God used him and took that opportunity to pen much of the New Testament as we have. And so I've always been intrigued and always been challenged by the chapter 3 as he reads, as he writes down his, his, basically his own credentials. And he says, and I'll begin in chapter 3, verse 4, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What he's saying is, doesn't matter. 
in comparison to Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In other words, when all is boiled down, when all is said and done, when we draw our last breath here on earth, should the Lord tarry, all that really matters then is eternity with Christ. All that really matters is to have I lived my life for Jesus. Have I lived well? Have I given my best? Have I done my best for Jesus? And so what that all boils down into this little word, as you know it, called attitude. Attitude. I think it was, I, I just read it here out of this little illustration book. Charles Swindoll said it, 10% of, life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% of our attitude. So life is 10% what happens to us and 90%, the rest of it is 90% of what my attitude towards it. Does this make sense? Does that make sense? It's, there's a lot of things I can't change, right? There's a few things maybe I can attempt to change, try to encourage, try to get, maybe get better at it, but my attitude needs to be unto you, Lord. If it be your will. James said, if we go, go, we're going to go to a city, James said it this way, we're going to engage and make a profit and uh, make, make, it, live, make an earning, but if the Lord wills. So what is, what is God's plan this year? What is God's plan? Let's back. I, I have to go day by day. What is God's plan for you today? Is to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's to love him foremost, most of all, than anything, any other human being, anything in this world. And so Paul is describing, you know, he's been taught, he's been learned, he's up in the ranks, but he's found this in verse 9. He says, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So what he's saying is it's not my knowledge of him. It's not knowing about him that matters the most. It is knowing who he is. It is recognizing his sweet voice. It is recognizing his presence. It is understanding that he walks with you everywhere you go, that you are not alone, that he is here even now to speak to our hearts. He is the one who is able to do far beyond what we could imagine or plan. What should my attitude be about life? Do I love life? Do I love God? Do I love where he's put me? Let's put it in order. If I love God, and I know he loves me, if I choose to love God, I can never out love him more than he loves me. 
here, here's human nature. When we mess up, when we sin, we feel like God doesn't love us as much anymore. Right? Come on. You feel like he's, oh boy, I'm, I'm in for it now. Wait a minute. God loves you just as much. If, in fact, he will not let you alone. He will not leave you then. And God will nudge you. God will put his hand upon you. God will whisper to you. God will speak to you. God will discipline you because he wants you to know his love. I would rather take a spanking from the Lord, so to speak, than to carry around the guilt and condemnation. And I don't, I'm not saying God beats us. He doesn't beat us up. But he brings us to the place where we surrender, where we feel this was wrong, I was wrong, and I'm going to lay it out before you. I, I have to be honest. We have to be honest before the Lord. God comes to look for a heart who has humility. And so when we come, come to God, he's looking for a heart for that, we, that is true, that is absolutely honest. And so for young Christians, it's been, there's been some uh, doozies, testimonies. I was with so-and-so. I can remember we were at, um, you know, this young Christian got up and told his testimony. And he hadn't quite learned the language yet. So he used words that he was used to using, but of course it stuns the church. And you know, you know what is going on there, that they are in process. So you love them anyway. And God sees through the heart, he sees all the words that people use that don't know God, that people even that know God ought not to use. There are certain words that we should not use because the Bible speaks to us about it. Not using words that are suggestive, that are coarse, that are blasphemy, or that are profaning the name of the Lord. And so we live in a world that we hear this, we hear all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of pain in the world. Hurting people hurt other people. Hurting people often hurt other people. And so here we come, and Paul is describing that in his heart, what is the most important thing that I might know him in the power of his resurrection. There is a resurrecting power that we know that is through Jesus. He comes to resurrect those who are dead. In the last days, he comes to resurrect out of the ground, to catch the church out of the ground. Those who died in Christ shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air with him there, for we shall always be with the Lord. There's a resurrection day coming. At the same time, he speaks with us for the fellowship of his suffering. There's a part of knowing God that we cannot know unless we have a degree of suffering. I don't like suffering. I don't like pain. Do you? I don't think anyone does. But there's a part of suffering. And if we're going to be close to Jesus, we're going to suffer to a degree. And he goes on, he describes 
in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may la be laid hold of that for which I was also laid hold of. That's a lot of word. What did it say? He said, I'm not perfect yet. We ought to rejoice that the Lord still uses us in spite of our imperfection. That God still says, you will follow, you can follow me. You are going to come, you, we're going to overcome. We're going to get stronger through the pain, through the suffering. The good news is for us today, we don't have to be condemned anymore in Jesus we can get out of the arena of condemnation because Christ has come and shed his blood for every sin that I've committed and will commit. There is this fellowship. I want to just touch on it. When we sin, we feel, we feel bad. That's a good thing. Because it's in your, your conscience is still working. And Paul described there were certain few that would fall into a category. They had become so hardened in the church of Corinth. They had become so hardened that their consciences were seared. In other words, they didn't care anymore. They, didn't, they brushed away the feeling of guilt or shame and hardened and hardened and hardened over again. Oh, that we might be quick to hear, slow to speak. Slow to anger. Oh, they, we, we might have his presence in the daily routines of life. Conformed is a word that can be likened to all of a sudden we're being conformed to something that we don't realize it can be used in a negative sense, conformed. And in other words, we're, we're kind of just being like the frog who was warmed up in the pan and slowly as he was warmed up, he never jumped out because he just kind of got used to it. Or we can be like it says in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to the things of this world, but be transformed. I love that. God wants to transform us. In other words, change us from the inside so that we are able to walk through this life being unstained, resisting, able to resist the flesh and the temptation. Remember, the temptation is not the sin. So if we sin, the Bible says we confess our sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive us. One of the greatest passages of scripture in 1 John 1, 9. When we confess our need for when we confess our guilt, our shame, then he, we put it behind us forever with the help of the Lord. And Paul is describing to him, not that I have already obtained it. Did you know that Paul wrestled with his flesh? You'll read about it in Romans chapter 7 and 8. He knew that which was right to do, he says, but I'm having a hard time. My flesh gets in the way. 
And what he says, thanks be to God who delivers me. And Jesus said to his disciples when they were praying at the Gethsemane hour of his, of his need, Jesus was praying, asking his disciples, can't you wait at least an hour with me? He says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So all of us have this battle going on that we have either to say yes to our flesh. And it's hard around holidays, isn't it? It's okay. You have that extra fudge, right? And just a little illustration. It's, I don't think that's too bad around holidays, as long as they don't make it our main diet, right? God nudges us. God is so good that he doesn't beat us up, kick us out over something that we're struggling with. But God is so good that he doesn't want to leave you the way you are, the way I am. That he wants you to walk on a level that is free of condemnation. That is free from guilt. That is free from the past. That, listen, his blood is enough to make you righteous. Not Paul. Not a righteousness of my own. Oh, look what I have learned. Oh, look what I know, God. Oh, look what I have done for you. Is that just rubbish? Doesn't mean anything. But that I might know him. And some of us need to understand that we're in a process right now today. We're in a process of coming more like Jesus. That's good news. Hello? I have not arrived. I am not there yet. Paul is saying, I am not transformed yet, totally. But look what he says. At verse 15, it blows me, blows me away. He said, let us therefore as many as are perfect. What? He just said he wasn't perfect. How do you, what do you mean perfect? The perfection is in Christ. You are perfect in Christ's righteousness. You can only be perfect when you're clothed with his total armor, his, his robe of righteousness. That's the perfection. That's the church that Jesus is coming back for. Those who have bowed themselves in their heart, made their sins known to God, allowed God to touch them and bring healing and salvation to them. So then we read, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching to what lies ahead. This puts it right in perspective, right? Just like, why are we here? What is our goal in life? What is the most important thing? Oh, you said love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Oh, then you said love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, you mean I 
I get to love other people with the love of God? Oh, you mean I get to love God? Does God force people to love him? What kind of a relationship would that be? Be kind of like what I call family force fun. Whether you want to play a game or not, you're going to play the game. Get in your circle. Whether you understand the game or not. And so he had this new game. It was horrible. I didn't understand it very well. Weird names. And Cody brought it. This Carrie was here to tell me what it was called. I just went along, kind of played stupid, you know, just played natural. I didn't understand what was going on. Oh, that kid will help me out. Okay, here's what you need to do, Dad. Do this. Put that card in there. God has always made a way for us. God is making a way for you. When you don't know what to do, how to fix your problem, how to fix the crisis mode maybe families in, what should we dwell on? This is what we should dwell on. Who we are becoming. Who they are becoming. What should be our focus? I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. My goal in life needs to be that the, I would have the attitude that Jesus himself had while he was on the earth. That Jesus himself had this attitude of humility like no one else. Who when people thought they were destroying him forever, he was surrendering himself. He was giving himself into the hands of man. He gave his life. He wasn't just taken from him. He had all the authority and all the power to call all the angels he would need to get himself out of his predicament. But he said, no, not my will, but your will be done. And when it comes to the new year, could we say, at least to a degree, what is your plan? What is your focus for me? How should I start this new year? And I always like to encourage this love God. I'm not very good at listing goals, writing them down, but it's a good thing. If you do that, go for it. If you're a list maker, if you're, you write things out, if you uh, like to write things in a, in, a, in a book or whatever works for you, go for it. So long as you're looking to God and say, God, will you help me? You know, sometimes before I can press on, I have to forget what lies behind me. I have to let it go. Sometimes I have to forgive. Let it go. Many times the scripture is lived out. Love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, I can't forgive, I can't, I, can't, I can't erase sin, but the love of God can help me love in spite. You see what I'm saying? Love covers a multitude, looks past 
and sees the person as a person. But there are those here that oftentimes families hurt family members more than any other people. Why? Because the people you love the most hurt you the most. Why is that? Because we're vulnerable and we're close. And because we're close and because we love, we, we, we set ourselves up for risk. You know what? Risk it anyway. Always choose to love. Always choose to love. Always choose to reach out. There's a standard that Paul described it. What is this standard? Verse 16, however, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. What is he talking about? There's a standard. In other words, there's a path. There's a lifestyle. There's a truth. God's word sets the standard. I don't set the standard. He sets the standard. He sets the, the bar. He raises the standard. He's the one. And the standard, as I've come to learn a little bit more about in the Old Testament, was a, was a, chan it was a chance for people to rally. Remember when it says uh, that he will raise up a standard against him and the enemy comes in like a flood? He will raise up a standard. There was a, there was a time when people would rally to the Lord. What does that mean? When the enemy is pressing, it's when the church needs to pray. When the enemy is pressing in on you, you need to pray in Jesus' name. When you, Father, when you, Dad, when you see your kids struggling, going through relational problems, going through stuff that only they, you know, something they don't talk about it, get in the closet and pray. Call their names out to Jesus. Grandma, Grandpa, do those, do that stuff. Pray for your kids, your grandkids, your great kids, grandkids. If you call their names out, if you don't call their names out, who will? Call your call their names up, lift their names up to Jesus. There are a lot of things in Philippians. I love the book of Philippians. You can glean from this over and over and over again. It was the same letter that Paul described. He learned to be content. That's the next chapter. But he learned means and tells me it just didn't come all at once. Right? Every season of life has its challenges. Every stage of life will have its set of circumstances you have never done quite, been there be, quite that way before. And what Paul is saying, I learned how to get along with humble means, and he, know, he knows how to live in prosperity. And so this morning I pulled out a verse, and just at our fellowship time, as I was reading this morning earlier at the church, Proverbs 30, so I've been, I like to take a Proverbs a day and uh, follow the month, you know, today the 30th. So I'm reading along, and this is usually the way it happens with me. God will speak to me or put, you know, nudge me. This is something that, that, that works. This is something that I needed today. 
And maybe this is something for someone else. So the Proverbs 37, 30, verse 7 says, Two things I have asked of thee, do not refuse before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. What, is, what do you mean? Feed me with the food that is my portion. Lest I be full, full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal. You know what that tells me? There's a balance. God knows what you can handle. See, for some, God gives more. He, he, he spoke about the parable of the talents. To one, they gave five, two, and one. The two guys, had, the one had five. He said, to your ability. The next one, he said, to your ability. Two. The next one, to your ability. One. Did he give everybody the same amount? No. But what he expected was to do as much as you can under your ability. Your reward is not going to be how much you bring. Oh, more than so-and-so. It's according to your ability. What has God called you? Frees you up to, to be who you are. You don't have to try to be a superhero Christian. In fact, I don't, I don't see superheroes. I see super servants. See, the greatest of those who are servants, those who are not afraid, what other thing? They're just humble. They've understood what it takes, the standard. Not what I have, I'm going to do. It's not what I can do, but what he can do. Turns it around. You may want things to change. You may have pain in your household that you want to go away. He comes. Start with you and I. What's my attitude? Am I bitter? Am I bringing it to Jesus? No one knows your pain like God knows your pain fellowship of his suffering when I call myself a Christian the devil is right there to always remind you why did you say if you're a Christian why did you get angry listen we're not exempt from the enemy be encouraged the devil doesn't like you be encouraged Hallelujah. Rejoice. The church in Acts rejoiced. Were beaten up. And they were persecuted. They said we were considered to be worthy to be persecuted. That's what Paul is describing. That I might know him. Doesn't matter if I'm in a prison cell. Doesn't matter if I'm in a farthest parts of the world preaching the gospel I learn how to get along and so I have to work on that 
I have to work on my attitude. What is it God's? What is my assignment? What is my hope? 